Who said that children can't change the world? This is Teenage Tech Stories, the podcast where today's teens talk about their incredible technological achievements, from developing groundbreaking algorithms to innovating in healthcare or even leading their own nonprofit organizations. These young entrepreneurs are proof that it's never too early to start making the world a better place. Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of Teenage Tech Stories. My name is Beatriz Valerum and today's guest is Jacqueline Prowerum, a 16-year-old with a passion for science and sustainable development. Jacqueline was the winner of the Clean Tech competition for her development of Psychoplast 2, a sustainable alternative to plastic that she made by upcycling fish scale components. Hi Jacqueline. Hi, Ms. Valero. Hi, it's great to have you on the podcast. To start, why don't you just quickly introduce yourself? So, yeah, my name is Jacqueline Prolera, and I am 16 years old and a high school senior in uh, Mountain House, California in the USA. I mean, I'm really into science. I practically breathe it, and uh, which is probably why um, some of my biggest activities I do are my science fair research for developing alternate materials to plastics, as well as competing in Science Olympiad with my school and also an academic decathlon. Um, but outside of all my academics, I also enjoy things like just reading a good book, whether fiction, nonfiction, and also martial arts and staying active with Taekwondo, or even just going out for a bike ride outside and playing with my dog. Taekwondo thing, it's an understatement because I think you have a black belt, don't you? Yes, um, I, I hold a second degree black belt in Taekwondo now after nine years of training. I mean, it's been a long journey. I mean, personally, standing at just under five feet and about 100 pounds of weight, uh, I'm pretty short and small. You might not expect me to be a martial artist, but I can say that my perseverance throughout all this training and the mental discipline I've been able to learn with the golden rule of mind over body, it's enabled me to excel and be able to perfect my technique despite my disadvantages. Oh, that's amazing. It's really impressive. And for the looks of all your projects and things, you seem to also have that determination in all aspects of your life. So congratulations for that. Obviously, a huge part of the projects that you do are focused on developing sustainable alternatives to plastic. As you said, currently the world produces 381 million tons of plastic waste every year, which is set to double by 2034. And 50% of this is single-use plastic, and we only recycle 9%. So obviously this is a huge problem, as you probably know. <laughs> when did you first get interested in this issue? Yeah, it's interesting. So I first learned about it in fifth grade from when studying Science Olympiad and the ocean. And that's when I first learned about the plastic problem and how it was affecting, um, at that time, specifically marine wildlife. That spurred me to real that realize how much plastic I use in my daily life and how I myself was contributing to this global problem. So that's when I was started reducing, reusing, recycling, doing anything I could to curtail my own plastic footprint. But I quickly realized that my efforts alone are not enough, considering that this is a worldwide problem. And that's why I started looking into using my research projects as a channel to find solutions to this plastic problem. After I realized how much plastic I was using in my daily life, from the plastic utensils at school to eat my lunch, to my plastic rat snaps for competition, I decided that using the three hours alone isn't enough because it requires people's mindsets to change. And changing those kinds of habits are always difficult. 
So I decided why not, why not exploit what the system's already in place and instead swap out plastic for something that's more sustainable. Looking at my own household waste, which, and I started in seventh grade with actually my leftover rice, I used the concept of broken rice starch structure to develop my very first alternate material to plastic. And I mean, from there, I, mean, I, just, I just kept inventing and well, now here I am five years later. It's really cool. Is that the biofiber plastic that we use for the broadcast master's competition? Yeah, so biofiber plastic was actually a second year extension off of that seventh grade project. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and where in that one, I enhanced the, the properties even further by taking my other garbage, like paper waste, uh, even my old clothes, like cotton t-shirts, and even the corn husks from Corn on the Cob from 4th and July. I used those kinds of waste to enhance the structure mm -hmm. of, the, of the bioplastics that I developed. While still, because it's all sourced from natural materials that can degrade back into the environment, it's still retaining its environmental friendliness and its sustainability, since it's being upcycled from waste that we're already gonna throw away anyways. Yeah, it's really good. And as you were saying, like plastic is really useful in a lot of things like packaging or and even with the COVID-19 pandemic, it's been so useful for sanitary purposes and safety and to make sure that we're not spreading the virus anymore. And actually, you've done a lot of work to help your community during the pandemic. Yes. Can you tell me about that? Yeah. So, I mean, it started summer 2020 when actually due to the pandemic, pretty much all my science fair competitions were canceled. I mean, so I was stuck at home. It was actually quite an odd time for me because normally that would be the peak of science fair competition season that summer of 2020, but you know, everything was canceled. And then hearing on the news about how frontline workers and hospitals were unable to acquire the, even just the basic PPE that they needed, like face masks and shields and gloves. That's when I realized, I mean, just how bad the situation was getting. And at the same time, I also realized that the people that helped me when I was younger, because previously I had um, previously I had issues with uh, health issues and a series of hospitalizations when I was really young, and I decided that you know what I'm going to take the resources I have and I'm going to give back to all those people that helped me when I was younger. So that's why so we repurposed our 3D printer at home to 3D print face shields um, as a stopgap solution to the shortage of PPE in my community. And we printed over 3,000 face shields um, in four and a half months that summer. And um, we were able to reach, well, we were able to reach a variety of places, hospitals, health centers, convalescent homes, and vulnerable populations. We even worked with the speech therapy program uh, at a school district where uh, they use the face shields as additional protection while still retaining facial visibility, which is very important when it comes to speech. Yeah, of course, because obviously uh, that's a huge problem. Obviously, I'm sorry to hear had issues, but it's great that you were able to kind of get back to the people that helped you. So tell me about your latest project, which is Psychoplast 2. Yeah. So what is it? So Psychoplast 2 is essentially a dual focus development. It was a combination of, on one hand, taking the 3D printed PLA waste from the face shield operation I conducted actually, and seeing the lack of compostability and recycling options available at the end of its useful life. I decided instead to valorize this waste with fishtail-inspired calcium salts in order to enhance the strength, but also its compostability in home composting environments, because I found that PLA actually only degrades in industrial facilities that aren't even available in my area, and there's actually pretty scarce throughout the U.S. in general. 
At the same time, risk PLA. Waste PLA from 3D printers is often uh, not easily recycled to begin with as it loses its material property. So more often than not, this ends up in the landfill, contributing to the plastic problem in its own separate bioplastic problem. So that's why I was targeting both the strength and compostability. Uh, and then the other focus was actually enhancing a thin film that I previously developed using the intact collagenous matrix, the collagen proteins inside fish scale waste. And what I did is that I enhanced it by tapping into the concept of sclerotization with chitosan. So that combination of collagen with chitosan in order to not only enhance this physical performance, but also to enhance its water resistance and thermal stability while still retaining its degradability and environmental friendliness at the end of its useful life. So that way it can have a broader range of applications, but again, without the problems that a lot of plastics have when they end up in our environment. Yeah, it seems like you really got kind of the best of both worlds. Was it important to you that the material was kind of affordable so more people could access it? Yes, definitely. Because one of the, one of the reasons why we continue to use plastics, I find, is that it's cheap and that's why it's made into so many convenient products. So if I can make my own prototypes cost competitive with these kinds of plastics or even cheaper, especially since I'm sourcing from essentially garbage, it, then it has a chance to start building that plastic-free future that I hope we can reach. Find us at Tech for Good on LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram and on Twitter at techforgood underscore. really incredible and I hope we can really achieve that. I'm curious, why did you decide to use fish scale waste components? Did you just try a lot of things or how did you end up there? Yeah, well, actually it was inspired by um, my regular trips to the fish market um, because we eat a lot of fish in our family and every week we'd go to the fish market to get some fresh fish. And then that's when I noticed in the back of the kitchen, there was a whole lot of fish waste, including the fish gift. And the fish scales intrigued me because sometimes we buy the fish skin because we can still fry it and eat it kind of like chips. But the fish scales are one of the things that you can't eat and you can't really repurpose otherwise. And they just get thrown away. And then after realizing, hey, these are actually they're strong and durable and they also have some flexibility, a lot like plastics. So that got me thinking, what exactly in this fish scales makes it like that? And how can I apply that in developing my own materials? really cool i'm guessing now you're gonna eat a lot more fish but, yes but i find it really interesting because also plastic problems affecting the oceans a lot right and the fish so i mean right now for every person on the planet there's one ton of plastic in the ocean and if we continue in the way that we are by 2050 there'll be more plastic in the ocean than fish so yes. it's really that you can kind of make it a cycle in some way use the fish to save the fish yes I mean, that was kind of the idea behind a lot of my projects. Um, at first, specifically looking at plastics, but then I also found this happens frequently with other materials too, is that we tend to just use it and then throw it away to the landfill. And as a result, we end up requiring more and more natural resources to the point where our environment can't can't keep up with it. And we're also accumulating all this waste that doesn't really have anywhere to go. But on the flip side, when you look at how nature works, nature is designed as a closed system to cycle all of its materials in different forms throughout different parts of the planet. And that's what kind of got me thinking, like, why not take, take a look at this waste that we've been accumulating and start bringing it back as a usable product, generating that circular material economy, just like what nature does. 
I mean, clearly nature has been around for a lot longer than human society has. So I think that nature is probably one of the best teachers that we can have. Yes, for sure. It's really important to make those cycles. What was the most challenging part of the project? I mean, for cycle class two, my most recent project specifically, I mean, I'd say the pandemic action. Um, so I live in a small town rural area in the U.S. So and I will also say that science fair is considered optional. So there's like less than five people at the high school level that are consistently doing science fair every year in my area. Um, but that doesn't discourage me. But at the same time, it also means that that I have to be very self-initiated and it's um, sometimes a little harder to access the same kind of mentorship and support. But And especially with the pandemic, with the closure of the school labs, so I was limited in the types of procedures and tests I could carry out. But in spite of this, I actually used that time to research for even longer and modify my procedure so that we I could still have that same depth of testing to, you know, in comparison to plastics and making sure it's environmentally friendly while uh, you making use of the materials I had at home, such as modifying my testing equipment or repurposing like unused appliances at home to make all my procedures work. I mean, and I have to say like, despite the hardships, uh, I think Cycloplast 2 really redeemed itself. Like it rose above its circumstances because that project alone became, as of right now, my most decorated project, which is why I'm really proud of it. Like it even won um, project of the year at the California state competition, not to mention uh, second place this year and ISEF in the material science category and also the first prize in the low cost category at the clean tech competition. And I mean, I'm, I'm really proud of how, how it's come so far. And um, at the same time though, and I see this as an important milestone because it means I am going in the right direction. So, which is why I want to continue on with this going on. Yeah, congratulations for all these awards. It's, it's amazing and it's really inspiring to, to see all the work that you do. Uh, do you have plans next for Psychoplast 2 or are there any other projects that you're working on? Yes, definitely. Um, I'm actually planning on expanding on Psychoplast 2's properties. And I'm hoping to not only expand the range of applications, but also looking into how perhaps at the end of Cycloplast 2's life, so essentially applying the circular economy concept to Cycloplast 2 as a material itself, at the end of its useful life, once it's considered a waste, what more can we do with my material? And that's what I'm looking into. Yeah, it's really important because you don't want to create more waste. Exactly. And obviously, in general, you talk about a lot of the importance of climate change, a rising concern everywhere. This past yeah. August, yeah. the UN published a report that concluded that it's unequivocal that humans are warming the planet and that if we continue in the way that we are, we won't hit the sustainable core targets. So the planet will be 1.5 degrees warmer in the next 10 years. You're aware of this and you've created the Climate Change Club at your high school, right? What is that? Yeah. So um, the Climate Change Club, we're recently rebranded ourselves to be Climate Change Outreach now, actually. And basically, I mean, when we started, we were focused on essentially sparking environmental action within our our own peers because I feel like so a lot of people are aware of and they know what climate change means and kind of what it is but at the same time if there's a difference between being aware and knowing and being aware and truly taking it to heart and I really wanted to try to bring the reality into people's hearts so that way they can start essentially we can all start being better environmental stewards when it comes to this planet so at school we had meetings uh, talking about different aspects of climate change and also so like the things we can do, we had challenges on our social media in order to promote more environmental awareness and get people talking about the environment in our own community. 
Have you found it harder to speak to people your age or older people about the environment? I mean, there's challenges to both sides, obviously. I mean, to older people, depending on the audience, I think they're willing to listen. But at the same time, like, I know some, sometimes they're also like, okay, another, you know, that's another kid talking. Um, and I'm not exactly the most imposing figure either um, with my small stature. But I, I can say that when I do show them my passion and also like the work I've been putting in, I think I'm able to at least get that thought started in their heads. As to when to come to my peers, unfortunately, one common trend I've observed is that it's too easy for them to just like watch and move on. Um, mm -hmm. But that's why I'm always like throughout the year, like I keep posting on our social media, I keep talking about it in our club meetings, like essentially, you know, don't let them forget about what's going on. And hopefully they'll eventually pick up on it and um, acting more sustainably. Yeah, and it's important to just start those conversations. There's Greta, who really managed to do a lot of things being very young, so I'm sure you can do it as well. You mentioned before the possibility of a plastic-free future. Do you think you'll, you'll see that in your lifetime? I mean, in my own lifetime, I think it's definitely achievable, although it may not be the easiest journey. But I think that if we have enough people and they keep pushing for it, I mean, even now there are bioplastics coming out and more alternatives to these kinds of plastics, especially single use if we can get more and more of these out i think it's i think we can really start transitioning away from all these petroleum-based plastics soon amazing and when it comes to you kind of if you look towards the future five or ten years time where would you like to be i mean so right now i'm a high school senior so that means right now i'm looking forward to um well going to college um yeah, getting my bachelor's degree i'm actually debating between environmental engineering and materials engineering as you can probably oh, guess why i could see both. yes see so yeah, i've been debating between material and environmental engineering and um, I hope that once I graduate my bachelor's to get started the workforce right away, just hopefully starting with a company that's already developing sustainable materials and, you know, to, to start working with them and making more sustainable solutions. And then, I mean, beyond that, getting my master's and I'm hoping a, a doctorate because I think I'm always learning. I always like to keep learning. Um, and being a lifelong learner is important. Yeah, that's really exciting. Thank you for coming to the podcast. Thank you so much for I mean this opportunity this has been fun actually thank you for listening to this episode of teenage tech stories like review subscribe or visit us at techforgood.net to read more about today's guest and other incredible people who are using technology to make the world a better place